So fast forward a few months, I, I reach out to a, a buddy, uh, Clint Walker over at Cud, and I call him up. I say, Clint, I'm thinking about having a few more companies cook at this thing. Do you think we should make it a competition? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. So I went out to like five or six companies. I said, would you want to enter a cooking team? I was stupid. I sh- I've been doing the oil field service for a long time. I shouldn't have every oil service company would say yes. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It's more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping hours. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, is one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry, offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit www.simmonspsc.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit www.worldoil.com. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we've assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit www.prang.com. EIV Capital EIV Capital is a growth equity-focused private equity firm which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit www.eivcapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Galtway Industries Known as the most connected and value-driven manufacturing partner in the oil field, Galtway Industries specializes in developing and implementing supply chain solutions for top-tier OEMs with a specialty in steel forgings, castings, machining, and fabrication designed to exceed expectations. Visit www.galtwayindustries.com to learn more. Tomahawk Safety Tomahawk Safety is a leading manufacturer of oil field safety gloves with products that are ergonomically designed for superior fit, offer best-in-class protection, and stand up to the industry's toughest jobs. For more information, please visit www.tomahawksafety.com. Range Valuation Services Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit www.rangevaluationservices.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. 
Lockton's energy expertise is largely centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Besides risk finance and risk management consulting, Lockton provides commercial insurance and employee benefits brokerage, as well as human resources and retirement consulting. For more information, please visit www.lockton.com. Welcome to Oilfield 360 Podcast. We are in the Oilfield Studios, Oilfield 360 Studios in Houston, Texas. Today is a, a phenomenal day. We are going to be interviewing one of our favorite people. Uh, as usual, per the usual, we've got Dave DeRode, co-host extraordinaire of Oilfield 360 Podcast. David, welcome. Thank you. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. As it's good as a, we can be. As good as we can be. It's been a, a good day of seeing some friends practicing our social distancing, talking about uh, kind of where we are today. So, so real quick, David is uh, not joking. We are practicing social distancing. And the reason that we're pointing that out is we want everybody to be uh, to take it seriously. We take it very seriously. We've washing our hands. We're keeping in our distance. Today, we have a special guest and somebody that we've known for a long time that we are friends of. We've been reading his reports for many years. Uh, and he has just opened his own company, Daniel Energy Partners, and the founder and president is John Daniel. Welcome, John. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here. It's good to have you here. It is. It's very exciting. You know, John, your your business is, today is the uh, 8th of April. Right. So you've effectively been in business seven days. Correct. So you, I want you to know that uh, you've broken the record for being in business the shortest amount of time and coming onto the podcast. That's how much we value you. Well, I appreciate it. It's yeah. uh, good to get out of the house. Yeah. How do you feel to be launching a business that uh, is so focused on the oil and gas business in these interesting times? It's a strange uh, combination of being excited and scared out of my mind. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking about doing this for years and I've just always been a bit scared. And finally, I'm getting old to be 47 soon. I said, yeah, it's about time I go do something on my own. And, you know, contemplated doing it really hard. You know, I, I told everybody back at my former employer, Simmons, which is a great, great firm. Sponsor. sponsor, they're a sponsor, sponsor of the yeah, podcast uh, here. Disclosure, but they've been great. I told them last last fall, and uh, never ever imagining that when I'd start and leave on April first and start April second that you'd have a global pandemic, you know, the Saudi Russia tiff, and just a complete free fall in the business. But aside from that, it's really exciting. <laughs> so, well, as you know, we had Robert Calloway on earlier today, right. and. Uh, Robert is a, uh, a relatively new entrepreneur starting his business back July 4th, but similarly in the professional services, consulting, right. advisory business, which uh, we'll get into a little bit more about, about what you're doing. But before we get there, we always kind of like to help people understand kind of where you came from, how sure. you got your start. So with that being said, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from? Sure how you got to Houston, Texas, and yeah. ultimately to Daniel Energy Partners you, you today. Bet. I'm uh, originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Moved there when I was three years old. My dad was had just left the Marine Corps, took a job at Mellon Bank, and we moved up there. I don't remember that because I was three years old. Uh, married now, wife, two kids, they're twins, 18, getting ready to go to college. But the career progression was, uh, you know, went to undergrad at Lehigh University, studied finance, I uh, had this great desire to be an investment banker. My grades weren't good enough, 
So I ended up going to the commercial banking route and uh, went back to Pittsburgh, worked there for a couple of years and on to New York, had the, the desire to be an investment banker again. You know, you work in Wall Street and uh, I w- actually I wasn't really Wall Street, I was on Park Avenue. But my wife worked as an assistant at a private equity shop and uh, she actually made more money than me as a commercial banker. And I was like, well, crap, I need to do something different. So I went back to get my graduate degree. Uh, I went down to Chapel Hill, North Carolina for my MBA. And uh, after my first semester, I dropped out to take a job with Key Energy Services. A guy that I'd worked with at PNC had left to go become the CFO of Key. And he called me up and said, hey, John, you know, why don't you consider you know, leaving business school and come work for us? And I was convinced I wanted to be an investment banker. And I just gotten my summer internship offer to go to Wall Street. And I uh, was all, all jazzed for that. And uh, he said, look, you can do everything an investment banker does, be on the opposite side of the table. And you'll actually get to see your family a bit more. So had a nice offer. And next thing you know, I drop out of uh, Chapel Hill. And I remember telling the, uh, the career counseling department about what I was doing. They said, you know, we, we have a lot of guys and gals that don't come back after their summer internship, but you're the first person to drop out <laughs> after the first semester to take a job. So <laughs> I went to Key and uh, spent eight years there. But that's sort of a little bit about a background. And, you know, went from Key then on to Simmons and, and now my own business. Well, I mean, that's you're wrapping up, uh, you're summing up a pretty quick right. twelve. Very year. quick, yeah, yeah. That's twelve years of your life and, yeah. and really the the bulk of your career to get you to this point. So I don't want to brush through it that quickly. Right. What does make you unique is that twelve year period and how you manifested your skill set, apparently of being a grad school dropout, right? And yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll so start calling the grad school dropout yeah. now, right? Yeah. So you're you, but you did you you. I don't want to say you figured out, but you certainly found a niche of where your skill set could fit into. Sure. And can you expand on that? Absolutely. So I I spent eight years at Key and at Key, my job was investor relations, but at any small company, you have to wear multiple hats. So I I dabbled in budgeting. I dabbled, helped the CFO with, you know, I don't want to say managing the banking relationships. He did that, but, you know, to the extent there was any help on, you know, financings or, you know, renewing credit facilities, I would assist with that. I was a jack of all trades effectively. But as the, during the eight years at, at during doing investor relations, uh, companies have what they call sell side analysts that write the research on the companies, and we had anywhere from thirteen or fourteen analysts that covered us, and uh, and I know them all; they're all good folks. But uh, I noticed over the years that maybe half of them actually came to see us face to face meetings, and then of that same group, only a few of them ever actually would go out in the field. And so if, if the, you know, at the time, this was years ago, I left in Key in 2008, um, our big competitors were neighbors and uh, basic energy services. And so if an analyst came in to see me and said, hey, they would say, well, John, you know, we talked to neighbors, we talked to basic, this is what they're saying. And it dawned on me, I said, there's a lot more people out there than just the one or two companies that we compete against. There's a lot of private companies. And, over the, and I just felt like, you know, I don't want to say they're doing a bad job. They weren't, but they just, they didn't get out and press the flesh, if you will, with the industry. And so then one day I was asking somebody, I said, well, you know, what type of money do these guys make on Wall Street? And uh, he, he, you know, I sort of learned what the competition was. I said, well, man, I got to try something different. <laughs> and I said, I can go do that sell side job. So uh, I, I left and uh, I, I, I left in 2008 and I didn't want to leave Houston because I married with young kids. I knew the folks at Simmons uh, pretty well, especially the banking team. They had helped us on a couple transactions, both representing us, and then we bought companies where they were advising the seller. Thought very highly of them, and uh, I, I went to a guy that hired me. His name's Scott Gill. He's no longer there, uh, but a great person. And he said, well, "You know, why don't you, why don't you come on board?" And I did, and you know, they were very graceful early on, uh, rather than 
living just behind an Excel spreadsheet. I kind of said, let me get out and get out into the field. Let me call some of these private companies I know. Let me call some of the companies that, you know, maybe we tried to buy when I was at Key, but the, the deal never fell through. But I knew them because I was on the diligence team. And let's just hear a different perspective about what's going on. And the, and the one thing I noticed as an IR person is sometimes we would do our budget meetings. And if you'd have all of the senior managers come in and give an opinion on what's going on in the business. And for whatever reason, when you're sitting around with the CEO, you want to give really positive news. Like who wants to be the guy that says it's really bad or we're not doing well versus this com competitor, et cetera. And uh, the long and short of it is we do these meetings and afterwards, some of the managers will call me up and say, well, this is what's actually really going on, John. And then I, and so, you know, I realized sometimes you actually have to get out in the field and see what's going on, or there'd be an information lag between, you know, customers demanding price increases at the field or, or decreases. They don't, the customers never ask for a price increase, but uh, versus when we actually start to hear it in the corporate office. And so my thought was, if I can get out there in the field and sort of be on top of things, maybe I can add a little bit of value to somebody. And Simmons was, uh, it was a little bit of a different approach and they were extremely you know, welcoming of that. And uh, so the last 12 years, I've just, I get in my truck and try to go see people. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So anybody that's been around you when you're in your field mode, you've got your truck, you've got your uh, magnetic signs. Yeah. And oftentimes, as I know, uh, your children in tow, I think right. that was your way of telecom them on uh, spring vacation and, and all that it. good stuff. That's right. I think that's pretty, pretty admirable. Also feel sorry for some of those, you know, as, as buddies are probably at the beach, but what a great experience, Oldfield, being around these great people. I think that's what differentiates you and why both myself and Josh and other people have gravitated to you over the years. It's kind of the same way yeah. I approach my business, getting out in the field and actually seeing and hearing what is what is happening as opposed to hearing about it second or third hand, you know, having to form opinions from right. that as opposed to getting good advice. Is that something that you think you are going to continue doing in, in your, in your new? I, I think that's, that's right, David. I, when I, when I joined Simmons, the, the, the gentleman that hired me, he made the comment to me, he said, John, he said, you know, you can't just report the news. You've got to go make the news. And if all you do is sit at your desk you know, you tend to be a reporter of the news. And, and I don't think you really add value to folks just doing that. And so that's what, again, prompted me to go out and see people face to face and try to learn firsthand what's going on. And then that included factory tours. And you have to go see everybody. It's not just, you know, the drilling contractor or the well service contractor. I want to go see the people that make the engines. I want to go see people that make the power ends. Then I want to go see the steel companies that make the forgings and understand that. And then ultimately you want to go see the EMP companies, whether it be the field consultant or the procurement team to understand what's driving your purchasing decision. Why this person versus that person? You try to make it fun. And because as an analyst, uh, as a sell side analyst, you have to travel a lot, not just to go see clients in New York or Boston or London, you have to go on the field. I was always away from my family. And uh, it was one, one spring break to your point about the kids. It was a tough market. And I said, well, let's for spring break, let's save some money. We'll go you know, someplace near Austin or San Antonio. I said, crap, let's just make it an Eagleford spring break tour. <laughs> and uh, so we took the kids down there and I think the kids are in fifth or sixth grade and, and the companies were great. I mean, my kids got to go out on frack jobs, drilling rigs, uh, went into manufacturing facilities and they, you know, I, I use some of the pictures in, in research notes. I don't use all because there'd be, uh, there's clear violation, OSHA violations, but they got to drive a forklift uh, and it, it was monitored. <laughs> 
But we started doing that, and uh, it was fun for me to take the kids out. And you know, over the years, uh, my daughter quickly stopped going, and my son still went occasionally. But it's been fun. It's, I, I'd like to think that they appreciate it. Maybe when I'm dead and gone, they'll oh, listen, back, you, they, they the time will. is what really the only part that's going to matter. It's, yeah. You know, one of the I want to make a comment. Yeah. I I flew out to Hobbs, New Mexico, to meet with some people actually through mutual introductions, and I met with a trucking Finn. Uh, a yes. guy named Finn. Finn Smith. Finn Smith. Yeah, great man. Yeah, he is. He is a super guy. Um, in in small town Hobbs, which probably has eighteen thousand people, and he's running a truck sales repair. Right. And he builds workover rigs. Okay, but yeah. but I mean that's part of their business, right? right? But I just remember going to this guy's dealership, thinking nobody, no other analyst has walked into this building ever before. And not only did I go in there and there was a warm relationship with you and Finn, you were, I wasn't with you, but yeah. I just remember thinking this is the kind of information that no one else is getting. You're, you're, no one is going to Hobbs, New Mexico, meeting with this dealership, this particular guy, and not only not just one time, but enough to have a relationship with him. So I just remember thinking that is the uniqueness of John Daniel. Well, I, I realized long ago, I'm, I'm definitely not the smartest analyst on Wall Street. There's people that are light years smarter than me. All the people I work with at Simmons, <coughs> I felt like the dumb guy. I'm, I'm confident I had the lowest GPA and SAT scores it's, that Simmons has ever had. But I like to go see people and, I'm, and it's fun to go to, you know, Canadian, Texas and go up to the Bakken. And I like Bakersfield. You know, no one else likes Bakersfield. I love going to Bakersfield. I used to go once a year to talk to those folks out there. I mean, I have a smile on my face. It could be the, the two and a half espressos I've had today, but like, I'm, I feel like this is going to be one of our best interviews ever. It's just the passion that you have for doing this. It's, it is unique. I mean, cause a lot, I mean, when you go and you read a report that David, that, you know, that all of us either subscribe to or want to subscribe to, right. we'll talk about that in a minute. It's one thing to read the numbers and read the stats, but it's another thing to, to read your narrative and there is an actual joy in right. doing this. Well, it, it's fun. And uh, yeah, I also learned long ago, you know, I was a stock analyst, but I was a, I never viewed myself as a good stock analyst, right? Thank God. <laughs> you know, I, I'll leave it at that. But I, I, I view myself more as a field and industry person. And I just like to know what's going on and write about the business trends and let me, people make their own decisions, whether it's good or bad. I, frankly, I'm indifferent. I'm indifferent to an extent. I want everybody to do well. But let's not kid ourselves. This is a cyclical business, and right, and we're in the face of an awful downturn right now, and it's going to get worse. But at some point, it, it'll get better, and it's the people that make it fun, and that's uh, that's why I keep doing what I do. The people absolutely make it fun. I think that's what drives most of us and drives a lot of the industry. It's a big industry, but a very small industry, and it's a very small world. It is very small. You know, it's funny to your point, Josh. It, I can't tell you how many people. Uh, clients that we shared mutually, John, that you either covered or knew. And, you know, you would have just left their office or were coming to their office right after. It was always kind of funny and in very obscure parts of the country. And of course, we've been around the globe together as well in, in different things, which has been fun. It's the one thing that I've always uh, respected about you and, and uh, have bragged about you uh, in regards to some of the other folks that are out there. And, and quite frankly, it's one of the things I try to do myself in my own business is that you do get out there. You do talk to these people. You, you have a relationship with them and you respect that relationship. They give you information that is good information to put out there without naming names oftentimes. Right. But that's a real benefit to those people that, that can appreciate that. So I, I think... You know, obviously, 
and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm laughing here in my head. I'm, you know, we've had however many podcast guests, both published and unpublished on here. And David and I do prep work and we send you a pre pre interview packet and all this mm-hmm. stuff. He just interrupted me, but yeah, well, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought no, you no, were, no, no. I was, I was going on and on and on, but yeah. <laughs> well, I can't. I well, get it, it's, it's, it's funny. Pressing. It's funny because we're, we've been listening to to uh, John question all of our buddies over the years, yes. Marshall and right. Dale and everybody else, and here we're getting to question the the grand questioner. Well, and this and, is my this is why I'm cracking up. So we always David and I write some questions at a time, and we have some standard questions. You know, I forgot to ask it. I'll ask it in a minute here, but John is the only guy that only guest we've had that supplied his own questions and we're not going to read them verbatim, but there right. there's, it just goes to the level of preparedness. Well, it's because I'm afraid of hard questions. So <laughs> I love well, it. I mean, he also, he also knows who is interviewing him as well. So yeah, I mean, honestly, trying to keep us to us. These are difficult questions. Ditch. We won't ask him any of those questions that we thought about us. Have you been on a podcast before? No, this is my first time. See, that's the only standard question that we really ask people. So thank I'm done. I yeah. literally, I'm out of questions. Well, now. also too, this is not going to be his last time because I think we're, John is going to come on as, as one of our guest uh, hosts hosts yeah. as well. So we're excited about, about that. So John, I just wrote this yes. question randomly. Okay. Excuse me. I didn't write it. Let me read this. Uh, but John, let me ask you a question. As we look at the energy sector, the stock price performance for so many companies has been awful. What are some of the reasons why? And I just came up with that myself. So, Wow. It's, uh, it's a good question. The, the performance has been bad. I'd say in recent years, it's a function of well, it depends within the oil field service sector, which is what I focused on at Simmons. I'm not covering stocks now. No, have no desire to cover stocks. You know, you've had a, a business that's overcapitalized. There's way too many players. Margins have been depressed and uh, returns have been pretty bad. You've got growing issues with this with respect to uh, the long term outlook for energy. You've got ESG pressures facing the business. And I think over time, if you look at some of the returns of these companies, they've been so bad, more and more investors want to just get out of energy altogether. And we used to publish this data at Simmons. I'm sure they still do. But I think energy as a percent of the S&P 500 is now something like 2 to 3%. And I, back in the good old days, it was close to 10 to 12. Someone can correct me exactly on what that number is. But it's just, I think, uh, bad returns lead to people deciding, why do I want to invest in this space? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I know... Uh that's not necessarily what what you what you like to comment on. It's not something you're going to necessarily do, but I will not do that. I, you know, I think uh, personally, for me, seeing kind of the capital that was consumed in the last call it ten years, while value creation for some of those companies is not what investors would have liked to have seen. I think the results as a result of that capital consumption is what's allowed us to have low cost energy, not only here in the States, but around the globe. And, and it frustrates me that that's, that's an altruistic statement, right? right? And, and obviously capitalism and altruism are two opposing things, but I think folks haven't fully recognized that. And I think sometimes it takes, time to recognize investments and thus return on investments. And I think when you get into public markets, that gets blurred a little bit because trying to make decisions and being judged on decisions on a quarter to quarter basis, I think is very unfair because sometimes good investment and technology, people, culture, et cetera, 
takes time to develop right. the return that initiated that investment in the first place. And the interesting thing about the private companies versus the public companies, and you, you've always kind of looked at both, which I think is interesting. It gives you some perspective in terms of what companies are able to do what. Right. There's a lot of misinformation out there, but do you have any, any thoughts on, on those comments? Well, I, I think I'll go back to, I'll, I'll touch on that in a second, but follow up a little bit more on Josh's question. I think the one thing that people have noticed over the years is you had, you had a lot of capital that was available and being thrown at the space. And we saw tons of new companies start up over the years. If you go back to 2017, 2018, you had a bunch of oil service IPOs, again, money being thrown at the space. And my capital equipment friends will get mad at me when I say this, but there's not a tremendous amount of differentiation with a lot of the assets out there. Now, how you maintain that asset versus your competitor, that's different, but it was fairly easy to get equipment. A lot of the oil field continues to be relationship driven although maybe not as much today given we're in a downturn, it's all price driven. But if you have good equipment or good people and really good people matters, you price fairly and you give good service, you, you, can, you can win the work. And so in a lot of the private companies that we both see are folks that came out of public companies, right? And you go to their facilities, some of them, you know, they don't have a, they're not in a fancy office tower in Houston or Dallas. They've got very low overhead. You know, they're not public companies, so they don't have that, you know, that cost burden on them and they can make a decent living and they do very well. And because they're the local provider, you see people wanting to take care of them. Right. And so again, that's thrown out the window today because the market is so bad, but that, that complicates and challenges the market because there's just so many people chasing it. And sure. so that just want to follow up on, on that and remind me exactly. Rem well, I mean, the point you're on though is the point. Right. And this is the hard part, you know, look, I'm, I'm different than David. David is a unique role within the world of risk, right? So he he touches a lot of people. I'm a raw material guy right. my, in, during my day job. So we do sell to a lot of the capital equipment people. And it is, you know, not just on our product, but other products out there. It's it, There isn't a ton of differentiation. I mean, the, the ones that are differentiated, they're very noticeable. Right. And the ones that aren't, I mean, honestly, those guys were gone six months ago. So what this little downturn is not little, excuse me, what this catastrophic downturn is doing is it's eliminating people. It will start eliminating people for sure. Mm. I, I mean, and I, it, that's the thing. I don't know when we're going to get through when Saudi, Russia will come to an agreement. You know, I don't know when global demand is going to come back. I, I feel like eventually it comes back. I mean, that's an easy thing to say. I just don't know when. But there's going to be a lot of pain. And right now, um, you know, companies, the activity free fall is huge. And we're going to see that in, 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 the, in the second quarter. You've already had a number of budget announcements from these EMP companies about cutting CapEx. Some have already announced two cuts. And, but what I think you see in the field is worse than what these announcements are. As you go into the next several months, companies that are seeing their revenues collapse will benefit from some cash flow from working capital release. But when you get to the summer and into the fall, like there's not going to be much cash flow. That's when I think you start seeing people shut down. And if you were a, a capital equipment provider and you had a really bad product to begin with, then yeah, you probably are not doing much. And some of the capital equipment providers, there's certain segments of the oil field that they haven't been building much for a couple of years because the returns have been so bad that oil service companies just haven't been spending the money to order new equipment or to replace equipment. By you know, market. I was reading, a, I went to a, I guess, a, back when we were allowed to be close to other people, Yeah, I went to a uh, conference and they were talking about 
how the large companies have the advantage with digital because there's right. just more capital available. They, they've got some experience. I don't want to, I don't know how this puts you, but I mean, is it better to be a big company right now or a small company? It depends. That's one of my favorite responses to any questions. It depends, by the way. Uh, I would ra I would rather be lean with and low cost with solid relationships than and debt free than being big. I mean, you can be big with great technology, but if you've got a bad balance sheet, you might be in a tr in trouble right now. I prefer smaller and lean. Just my opinion. Okay. Yeah, that's like asking him how much a fat dog weighs is one of my favorite things. John's depends and. Yeah, I like to talk about how much fat dogs weigh. But uh, our sound guy Jonathan's back there cracking up. David yeah. has some of the best one-liners on this thing. That you know, the fat dog. How much is a fat dog weigh? I love that one. I get called turkey. Hey, turkey, get over here, turkey. Those are a couple. We got some good but, ones here. But but looking at John, you know, John's all these serious business. We're all busy. There you're uh, right. We'll we, stay. We we'll stay to, in character we to, here. We need to stay in character, stay in character and, please. and handle this professionally for our good friend. So. With all that being said, I mean, when the companies that you did cover when mm -hmm. you were at Simmons, do you feel like those companies got more or less attention than, say, some of the other companies that uh, were not covered by you or were covered by other analysts? Do you, do you feel like your, uh, your opinion mattered more? My answer for you personally would be I would think probably so because you got out in the field and you weren't just sitting in an office borrowing somebody else's thoughts but there was there was a period of time where i guess you could say my work was perceived as cool and i had lots of fanfare from investors but i really felt like you know the guy with leprosy the last couple of years <laughs> like no one called me you know my my former colleague john watson had a great line at a conference he said well at least my parents or at least my mom reads my research that that, <laughs> that felt like me right because no one really liked the companies i covered i love the companies i covered they're great people but it was that was that was discouraging right because you went from a you look at stocks right and uh some of my stocks were you know had high market caps well within the smid small cap mid cap universe i if i go look today i think i covered maybe 15 16 companies personally at least half are under two or three dollars a share. And it's just as a the, the rule of thumb that I had from several clients back in the day was if it's not trading ten million dollars of volume and it's not and it's or it's below five dollars a share. Now this is not a set in stone rule for everybody, but you just can't own it. Your the, your their investment committees wouldn't uh, wouldn't allow it. So no, inbound calls were were awful for me the last couple of years. I'd say for people that covered and I don't want to use the term, well, I'll use the term real companies, but that would be offensive to my friends. But the bigger companies, like our analysts, I think were a bit more engaged with 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 the investment community for sure. People like Bill Herbert, every, people still talk to Bill quite a bit. Well, I think it's important though. I think the one thing you mentioned is it's been a tough sector to cover, right. honestly. And I think you've always done it honestly. And I think now more than ever, people need honesty, whether you're management team, whether you're an investor in the space. Right. I mean, oil and gas is not going anywhere anytime soon. The the uh, the miracle energy sources have not appeared. Cold fusion. Yeah, the cold fusion, the the unicorn farts, right. all that stuff is not going to, is not emerged not yet. yet. So all that being said, I think people need more honesty than not. I think one of the interesting things about what's, what's happening, uh, which started in Europe and kind of 
came over here, the ESG concept, sure. which a lot of folks looked at that punitively, but I think it was them saying, look, we get that you can put out this stuff on financial performance, but we know there's more to uh, a sustainable company versus right. what your earnings are on a quarter to quarter basis, because let's be honest, that can be somewhat fungible, but right. what are you doing to track performance? What are you doing to hold yourself accountable? What are you doing? I think people are looking for greater transparency and more honesty, whether you're a private company or a public company, the banks are going to be starting to do the same thing. You see Bloomberg and others making announcements like right. that about companies they're going to cover. You're even starting to see insurers doing the same thing. So I, I, I think there is more room now for a greater level of honesty, greater level of uh, transparency and insight these companies. Right. And, you know, with with your ability to get out in the field with these relationships, not only do I think can you help those companies tell their stories, but I think you can also give the various interested stakeholders additional information that they're really honestly sure. looking for. Well, well I, I was with you one time where you had written a report or a note that wasn't positive for a company. Right. And I just happened to be with you. This is a, you know, a year, about a year ago or so when the CEO of that company approached you and it was, his comment was, I don't like it, but it was a fair assessment. Right. I, I mean, do you get, I mean, does that do encounters like that happen? I mean, do you feel but, phone calls after notes? I mean, what is it? What is it like to write honestly in a world where everybody would like you to say positive things, but that's just not the case? Well, it 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 is a tough business, right? Because you, you when you're writing on a, on an industry or a company, you, you want, I mean, you want them to like you. We all want to be liked. You you want to be able to have access to go to facilities and look at stuff. And you know, some people hold grudges, and you know, you get put in the penalty box, and they won't take your calls, etc. But I would say that I. I was pretty good about pissing one management team off at least once a year. And it was never meant to be intentional. It really wasn't. But sometimes, you know, you're in the, you're trying to write a note quickly, you write something, you hit send and you, you kind of sit back after it goes out and you're like, Oh crap. Did I re you know, I reread, you reread it and you're like, I didn't mean it to sound like that. And I've had people call me over the years. Uh, you just have to, you try to explain to people in good faith that I'm not, I'm not trying to be a bad guy. But it's, it's hard to, you know, if someone's financial performance is awful, it's hard to spin it as being good. And it's hard to spin bankruptcy as good, right? It's hard to spin major accidents as good. It's not. And I think you just have to call it like it is. And, uh, and, and you have to be hopefully consistent. I've tried to do that. I haven't been perfect, but I've tried. No, I think, you, I think you've done a good job. You know, we've been talking a little bit about a lot of stuff last 12 years mm -hmm. up until – April 1st of this year, talk to us about Daniel Energy Partners. What is Daniel Energy Partners? What is what are the what are the objectives? What are you doing? Sure. And then aspirationally, what are your thoughts there? Well, really, what it, the, a couple a couple things. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I I just I'd like to be my own boss and and sort of run my own show. At least I think I mentioned that earlier. If I didn't, I'm mentioning it now. What I want to do is focus on just field level research and be very focused on a few particular sectors. At this point, it's a staff of me and sort of my wife and maybe my son this summer. And uh, it's, you know, things such as the pressure pumping market, the workover market, cool to I me, mean, anything in, in that U.S. onshore playground. I want to spend a lot more time out in the field and just sort of reporting on what's going on in the business. The other aspect would be uh, consulting. I do not 
want to be someone's M&A advisor, but I know that sometimes companies, because over the years, people have called me up, company owners and so forth. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, pro bono advice, you know, if they, hopefully they subscribe to the research, that'd be great. But, you know, just give them some assistance on projects. If, if they need someone to go out and do due diligence in the field. I mean, the one thing that I feel like I, I know pretty well is when you go out as frequently as I've been, I've been to the facilities. I know the local players in these markets. I don't want to be so arrogant as to say, I know the good people and the bad people, but you know, you kind of know the, the markets well. And if there's any way that that can be of assistance to someone in a restructuring or uh, someone looking at an M&A transaction, they can go hire the big guys like the Simmons and the Goldman's and others for the true M&A advisory services. That's not me, but just sort of an, an honest opinion, if you will. I like to bring the, the industry together, various social events, um, helping from business development standpoint. Uh, and we can talk about that later. But what I've, what I've found over the years, going back to the research side is I get, and it was, this was all dumb luck. You know, I, I wrote a report, someone put it on the internet and this was back in like 2010, which at the time pissed me off. I was like, well, people should be paying for this research, but someone posted it. it. Turned out to be the best thing in my career. I wrote something on the frack market. And that was when all of a sudden the frack market tightened dramatically and people wanted to get frack equipment. And so all of a sudden I've got all of these EMP companies calling me like, hey, how do we get, how do we get frack equipment? And so I started to build a Rolodex of people on the supply chain side. And then I had, when I wrote that report, I, I mentioned some of the builders of the, of the equipment and I didn't know everybody at the time. But I had people that I failed to mention in the report call me up and say, hey, wait a second, we manufacture this equipment, please, you know, so it, something like that opened the door for me. And it led to a lot of opportunities where I've, I've gone and I've presented to boards at companies, talked to their employees, gone to see the management teams. And it's not just at the oil service company I cover, it's the steel forging company in Pennsylvania. It's the major uh, producers of fluid ends. That it's, it's the big integrated oil companies where the supply chain team just want to, you know, ask some questions. And, and it's, so I've sort of been, a, I feel like I've been a consultant for years. Now I just want to do it on my own and hoping that I can, you know, get some nickels and dimes and, you know, a comment on that. Uh, and I'm not going to name names here, but I'm, I know what report you're talking about and what capital equipment company you're yeah. talking about. And John, I mean, I was, I'm actively involved in that world. It's no exaggeration to say that in many ways you changed the course of that. I mean, that industry became a very popular place to be right very quickly. And, you know, part of it was timing, part of it was your report and part of it was just putting a spotlight on, on a product line that really had never had a spotlight put on right. it before. And there was new technologies I and mean, there were some things to it, but it was, it was unique to see what information could do to a segment of the market. And it, by the way, it was totally dumb luck. Uh, you know, I had, been for the two years prior, Josh, I had been the guy going out in the truck and just seeing people and writing notes. And, and my boss, Bill Herbert, again, a great mentor, very, a lot smarter than I am. He's like, John, he's like, you got to go write a thematic report. Here, do pressure pumping. <laughs> I was like, what the hell's pressure pumping? <laughs> so next thing you know, I'm calling around trying to learn the business and I wrote their first report and it was just, it was total dumb luck. And then whoever, I don't want to name the firm that put it on the internet. By the way, I've got to ask you a question while we're sitting here. You mentioned Bill's name. Does Webster call up Bill and ask him for advice on what words they should put in the dictionary or not? I mean, he has got the he, he's got the biggest vocabulary, I think, of any human being. Loquacious. 
Yes. Yeah. Spell uh, that, Josh. I know. He, he's, a, he's a phenomenal <laughs> writer. And at one time he used the word locus in a report and I thought he meant focus. And I got lectured. No, I don't. Cause I edited. I said, Isn't, don't you mean focus? No, John. <laughs> I was, he's really, really smart. He's got great command of the macro. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I use the three letter, four letter words. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. my style. Yeah. Well, Sil one syllable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Just pictures. You, you mentioned something I want, I didn't want to touch on this cause I want to take us down a different trail here. Uh, you, you mentioned subscribe to the research. So right. some people may not even know what that is. I mean, and I mean that because I know I didn't know what it was until a couple of years back where, so what is that? Well, there's, there's a lot of research providers out there and the, you know, there's, well, okay. There's different models. There's the sell side, which was what, where I was at Simmons, where we write research and basically everyone got it for free. Uh, and then you've got consulting firms that write research, Rystad. Very good. Spears, very good. You've got people, Daniel Cruz at Chorus, very good. Joe Tripke over at Enfield Thinking, very good. Everyone has sort of their own niche, if you will. What I've learned is, you know, no one is the best. I don't care what anyone says. We're all like, I can't possibly know everything all the time. I can't. No one can. But you look at various people, they've, you know, my niche, I like to think, is going out and seeing people. That's where I'm good. I'm not the guy that's going to build the best Excel model. You look at a guy like Daniel Cruz, of course, phenomenal at looking at, you know, real time, you know, looking at well data and digging into that. I can't do that. He's smarter than me. And then you've got Joe Tripke as an example at Enfield Thinking, who's absolutely crushed it on sand and water. Like if I was going to invest in anything, I'd be calling Joe. Talk to me about that. Don't call me. But what you want to do on the subscription model is hopefully people who like your research will support you and subscribe to the research. And if you look at the various people, that's how they make their money, whether it be investors who subscribe or industry people that subscribe, that's the objective. And, and so my hope is that people will buy the research. So how often are you going to be putting out this research? That's a great question. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I hope to put out my first note this week. When you work at it, when you're at a team like a Simmons or an investment firm, you've got multiple analysts. And so every day those firms have the morning note. There's a lot of content in that. As a one-man person today, there's no way I can do that. My hope is to put out something once, twice a week, observations on the market. Uh, certainly, I'll, I would like to spend more time in the field. I just I can't wait till the COVID issue is behind us so I can get my truck and go somewhere. So I'm going to call those the field tour notes. If there's interesting news I want to opine on, I'll give my opinion. Hopefully, someone cares. Maybe not, but we'll see. I'll write that. Then, uh, you know, throughout the year, do what I'll call a, a thematic report. Just a deep dive into something that interests me or that I think people will be interested in. So maybe you'll do six, seven of those a year. And then ultimately it, what we had on the sell side, because we'd go see clients or companies, our, what we call our marketing doc, call it a, a make this up, 40 page PowerPoint slide deck, just on the business. If people want to me to come in and talk to their employees, happy to do so. What I, what I found, and I don't mean to be long-winded, but what I found over the years, and I, I saw this back at Key, where every public company once a quarter, does an earnings conference call. And a lot of times between the quarter, they go to conferences and they talk about the business. You'd be surprised at how many people at, say, a service company, don't their salespeople don't listen to those earnings calls of their customers and don't listen to the webcasts when they're at a conference. There's a lot of good information that's forthcoming. And so if I can help, and I'm not the only one who does this, but if I can help summarize, distill that and get pertinent data points to those people, it saves them some time. And it keeps them abreast of what's going on. Well, I mean, you're translating things too, by the way. I hope so. Yeah. And and and, and I think what what, what I, f I felt like uh, when you read a lot of notes that come out from Wall Street analysts, and again, I'm not trying to take a, a shot at them. I'm not, but they tend to be more focused on the valuation of an equity or of a bond or whatever it might be, <coughs> as opposed to hey, this is what they just said about what's going on in the Eagleford. This is what they're going to do in the Permian next quarter. 
that's the data point that's more important to the salesperson at a frat company or a work, an oil field service company. Or if I'm the capital equipment provider and I know that several of these companies are going to order more equipment or are looking at it and others are not, maybe I want to know that information and have my salespeople try to target better. So you've been, you've been a free agent for a week. What's the response been thus far? Uh, it's interesting, uh, Josh. It's, uh, I sent out some targeted uh, emails to folks a few days ago saying, you know, here I am. I'm up and running, sort of laid out what the pricing strategy was, and uh, it, there was no replies. And I'm a, I'm a delicate little flower, and uh, it bothered me. Uh, so I, I called one of my friends who works at one of the companies, and I didn't send him the request on the service, but he knows me. I, and I said, what do you think? He goes, look, John, because you know, things are crazy right now. He goes, we're cutting everything we possibly can cut. He goes, Don't, you can't take anything personal right now. Our teams are busy. And you are a discretionary expense and there's really no appetite for spending things on discretionary items right now. And I get that. That's not what I wanted to hear, but he was, he was honest. So then I reached out to some private companies because I'm working on a research note now and, and I called them up and it was different. They were more supportive. And I think that's maybe because they're private and they don't answer to, you know, the public community, but the guys were like, look, you know, everyone's got a different price point. And I, and I will say that unequivocally right now and openly that I can't, you know, a big company with billions is going to pay a little bit more than the guy that's running, you know, one rig. But they were they were very supportive. They said, "Let's here's a let's let's talk about the price." They said, "Here it is. Send us an invoice." Yeah, I, I can actually I have to disagree publicly with the comment of that this is that information is discretionary. I can't imagine a, a time when information is more valuable. I agree. Right now, when people you're losing your, you know, quote unquote, expert that works for you directly or you know, whatever, whatever's happening, you need real time information right now. I hope everyone shares that opinion. And, and look, it's only, yeah, that's not a selling to you. I just feel that way today, in general. Today's Wednesday. I started sending notes out on a you know, request to talk to folks on Friday. And, and it's pretty, you know, you got pe- people at home because of COVID who's in the office, who's not in the office. I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on anyone. And yeah, no, but it's John freaking Daniel who's emailing you. I, I mean, said, people a, respond to you. I'm a delicate little flower, yeah. you know, and uh, I, I, I want, please, I hope people will send me an email. It'd be great to get an email. But it's, I'm, I'm very- Social distancing is taking a toll yeah. on John. Not only did he launch a business at the most <laughs> inappropriate time in the cycle, well, you learn, but he's you learn, lonely. You learn things. So like the one- so He's, here, so he's I, here with us today. My- uh, the first one, of the first guys who said he's going to subscribe, he goes, "Hey, he's like, get me, uh, get me the W nine," and I was like, "What the hell's a W nine?" You're welcome to being a business owner. Yeah, so I'm, I'm learning all these things about being a business. I'm, I'm trying, and, and then he's like, and, and then he said, "Well, send me the invoice." I'm like, "Well, shoot, I got to create an invoice." Yeah. So, you know, I told my wife, I said, "Go create an invoice." I'll never forget uh, when we started the company. By the way, if you want to know everything not to do, talk to Josh and I first about this, and we can tell you so we can help you avoid. I always these tell issues. people that we're really good at taking a business out of business just slowly. We're very good at that. So, right. and I think that the other thing, Josh, is I, I remember as I was getting ready to start this, you know, because I let people know that I was leaving, it was no secret. And again, Simmons has been, was phenomenal as was Piper who owns Simmons, Piper Sandler. A lot of people, you know, were giving me advice. And I remember some people were saying, you know, John, it's not going to grow as fast as you think it is. And I was like, that's stupid. It's going <laughs> to, I'm going to crush it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, $25 oil and it's a different story. I'm, but I'm an optimist. And, you know, what you, what you learn as a service company is a lot of times you have to work with your customer, Yeah, frankly. Well, as, on that note, how yeah. do people get the research? What do they do? And can anyone get it? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, they. I would like them, I guess, I have to fill out a W-9 with everybody. I just learned that. But I, 
what, what I will start doing is publishing notes and I will shamelessly have some commercials in there saying, please help me. Okay. And I'll help them as best I possibly can. But it, what would be idea would be send me a note. I just figured out this LinkedIn thing. Yes. Uh, you know. What you've done well with this. I, I, you know, yeah. I, we're big on LinkedIn, our oil field 360. We just are almost at a thousand subscribers on that or on followers, but LinkedIn is powerful. Right. And so like, I didn't have that account. I think December, my young associates, like all these, these folks, I say kids they are not kids. I'll, I just offended them, but I view them as kids. They're, they're so smart, right? They, you know, they, they tops of their class and they come in and they're like shocked that I don't have LinkedIn. I'm like, you know, you don't have Twitter, you don't, you don't have Instagram. I'm like, no. You know, I, so I'm, and you know this, I'm IT deficient, but uh, I'm starting to learn all this. So listen, I, I put, I'll put out my first, I guess I did put out one LinkedIn post and I'll, yeah. I'll do another one here soon, I suppose. Um, you put up your logo. I put up a logo. 13,000 views in four days. That was which probably is, my, my mom clicking it 13,000 times. That's a lot of views yeah. in on right. a logo. Yeah. And so I'm excited. Watson said at least somebody's reading. Somebody's reading. Yeah. I don't know who. You know, listen, I'm going to say this for everybody listening to the podcast and you, John, that we own a marketing company as well. And I go meet with CEOs, the, right. the management teams of companies. And there's never a moment in my presentation that I don't feel dumber than when I'm explaining hashtags and right. Instagram for business. To, I, still, I still don't know that. To adults. Well, yeah, it's, again, Jonathan's <laughs> laughing at me back here, but it's true. And I, I have to tell people like hashtags matter you know, Instagram for business matters. Right. So these are things that, and again, I'm, I'm going off on a slight tangent here because I think it's valuable to the listeners that, you know, we are in $30 oil, whatever right. the number turns out to be here. There, there is no room for the attitude of, well, I'll, I'll let somebody else do it. Everybody listening needs to understand that these technologies, including LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, hashtags, these things, these matter. Right. And, you know, it, it can't just be your 22 year old associates anymore. You know, we have to embrace these. It's just as simple as that. I hear you. I just don't want to. I like, you know, sitting in my truck and going to Dairy Queen. Well, you know, but, my, my mom, love yeah. my mom. Took me five years to convince her to text me back. Now, yeah. you know, during this coronavirus, I said, mom, FaceTime with your grandkids. Right. Ah, that's not, that's, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I yeah. said, mom, the only person that doesn't benefit here is you. Right. You know, you need to be able to learn how to FaceTime. So my point is we can, it's, there's a guy named Gary V who I follow quite a bit on social media. And ultimately he's like, your opinion doesn't matter. And I mean this with, <laughs> with, with respect, John, ultimately is we have to embrace these things. And, and I, I'm being very forceful on this right. podcast because I want the people listening to embrace these things. Cause I think that's one of the ways we get out of this thing alive is embracing new technologies. You're right. I'm just slow and stubborn. I'll get there eventually. Okay. Yes. Well, there's nothing wrong with being a little slow and a little stubborn, but uh, it is something you gotta you gotta embrace. Yeah. But uh, kind of talking about Daniel Energy Partners um, again, we we talked about a little bit of dabbling and consulting, so sure. to speak. As it relates to the competitive landscape in regards to what you do, what does that look like for you? Do you feel like you well have any competitors? It, oh, absolutely, I've got competitors, and and. And everybody, I mean, I, I mean this sincerely, I've read their research over the years. It's good. It's really good. And I, and I think the, the, the advice I'd give any company is don't just standardize on one person. That's foolish. You know, hear and look at multiple different sources of information. You know, that's the way to be most informed. So I do, there's the sell side that in, in, in some respects you compete against. That would be Simmons and Tudor Pickering names that people would know, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, et cetera. Then there's the independent, the consulting firms, the you know, uh, 
Reistad, I mentioned them earlier. Uh, Chorus Research is another one. Uh, Enfill Thinking. And there, there's multiple others. So I'm not here to badmouth any. In fact, a lot of the stuff I'd like, I wish they'd send it to me for free uh, because I can learn something sometimes. But they're good. And, and so I, there, it's a, there's a lot of competition out there. I don't think any of them can cook like I can cook. But yeah, uh, I think that's there, there's a lot of competition. So that's kind of where I was, I was hoping you were going to answer that question. Yeah. But I'll answer it for you. I don't think you've got any competitors. I think you've got competitors like I've got competitors like Josh has got competitors. But what differentiates us, what differentiates you, is one, your experience, your experiential knowledge, and, and the relationships that you have built over the years that gives you unfettered access to a number of ex- executives who will talk straight with you, knowing that some of that can be published and some right. of it is to remain private, but is for the benefit of everybody kind of you know, playing to the... Um, well, no, David, that's right. I mean, I, I, the way I try to approach the research is almost, you know, when my mom asked me, well, what, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm kind of like an investigative reporter, right? You like to go out there and kick the tires and... Again, a re- I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I just want to know what's going on in the business and talk about it from the 30,000-foot perspective. This is what I'm hearing. You know, Drilling rig count going up, frat crew count going up, pricing going down. Let people make their own decisions, whether it's good, bad, what have you. But just talk about the trends in the business. Or you know, we, had a, we, had a tour, we did something last year at Simmons. We, it was our electric frack tour. Well, there's a lot of interest in electric frack technology then. And so we had a bunch of, uh, you know, first day was investors coming in to hear a bunch of different providers. And the second day was a bunch of EMP executives going around and seeing new technology. We saw, and I, I, mean, I, don't, I won't name all the names, but there's a lot of companies that were introducing new products and services around that time. And I just love going out there and hopefully being the first person to learn about a new fluid end or a new, you know, new rig technology. I'll never be an expert on it. I'm not an engineer, but it's just kind of nerdy thing to, to go learn about it, hear about it. And, and I like to report on and write about it. At the end of the day, I, as I tell the companies, I said, I'm not going to sit here and say your product is better than their product. I have no idea. I don't use it. I'm never going to buy a fluidant. I'm never going to buy a drilling rig. God help me if I do. But it's their job to go prove it. And, uh, and so that's what's fun is just to go find it and then talk about it. You know, one of the things you, you mentioned just a second ago is, is barbecue yes. being a cook. And I have to say, I agree. That is definitely a differentiating point for you. And uh, it has served you quite well, not only getting people gathered together to enjoy each other's fellowship and talk about the, uh, the good and the bad and the ugly of the, right. of the uh, cyclical oil and gas market, but also really enjoy some good barbecue. So you are famous for your barbecue. And uh, tell us a little bit about... Uh, how you got started doing that and sure. ultimately what, what that's become. So I am, uh, I'm from Pittsburgh, not known for barbecue, not known for barbecue, not known for no, barbecue. No, not at all. Bad, bad football. Uh, bad football. Yeah. It's good football. Not as good as Dallas, but that's cool. It's better. Um, but I uh, moved to Kingwood. I live in Kingwood, Texas, not too far from here. And, uh, my church had a annual barbecue cook-off we called roundup weekend as we try to bring in new members of the community to church and so you'd have all these sunday school classes put together pits and and go cook and so i got teamed up with a, one of the guys in my class uh, a guy named ryan burke who's a phenomenal cook and he started he had that one of these big smokers double axle trailer things looked really cool and i started learning from him 
And so I started off, you know, I didn't go big. I went to Academy. I got a small little pit, you know, messed up a lot of stuff early on. And then from there I said, you know, I got to take it up a step. <laughs> so I went to pits and spits and got up pit. on 59 there. Well, they've moved, okay. but, but uh, I did. That's where I went, got a pit there and started mastering cooking. Uh, I can't cook anything but barbecue, just so you know. I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm a professional chef. I'm not, but I can cook. By the way, barbecue. have you noticed how he's downplayed research the entire time he gets to barbecue and he says, I mastered yeah. barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. Well, that's, I, well, I think I have, although I will, I'm going to come, I'll tell you where I placed in the, in the competition, which is depressing. But so then from a couple of years, I'm doing that. We, I take the, the smoker down to uh, one of our a sales guys uh, who, you know, Sean Mitchell at Simmons. Yep. We would do a barbecue at his house uh, for Christmas. I would take, go down there and cook. And we did that for a couple of years. And then we said, well, if let's, instead of doing Christmas, let's also do OTC. So then we started doing the OTC barbecue. And then I said, you know, screw this. Let's make it, let's go big. So I went out to, and, this, and thankfully I, I made the pitch to the folks at Piper's Jaffrey, which is now Piper's Handler. I said, let's do something in Midland. And they're like, okay. You know, I think they, they must've thought I was crazy, but that was three years ago. First year was me uh, cooking and, uh, and we took, uh, and Tracy, it, it was, no, it was Tracy Turner from Armada Pressure Control. Right. He, yeah, he was there. I was going to use my own pit, but it was right after the hurricane Harvey and my house had flooded. And I, you know, my wife was like pissed that I was going to Midland for a week to this big barbecue, but she's a good lady. And, uh, <laughs> and so I ended up borrowing a pit from, uh, the folks at basic energy. So Ro, Ro Patterson hooked me up. Thank you, Ro, during the flood. And, uh, and so we cooked and we supplemented some stuff with Katie's barbecue, which I love Katie's barbecue in Midland. And we had about three or 400 people show up. But what happened is when you cook for that many people, it's really hard. And it was a hot day and I was miserable. I was like, I'm not doing this again. So fast forward a few months, I, I reach out to a, a buddy, uh, Clint Walker over at Cud, and I call him up. I said, Clint, I'm thinking about having a few more companies cook at this thing. Do you think we should make it a competition? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. So I went out to like five or six companies. I said, would you want to enter a cooking team? I, I was stupid. I sh I've been doing the oil field service for a long time. I should have known every oil service company would say yes. But I was, but they all, they, and they all did. So I sent out my first email blast saying, come join us at you know, the second annual barbecue. I can't remember the exact title. And I listed the you know, six or seven companies that were going to cook. And all my friends in the reached out and they said, hey, why didn't we get an invite to cook? And so uh, the next thing you know, which is I went to 39 teams yeah. you know, within about three weeks. And it was great. And then, uh, and we did, and, and then last year we, we had 42 teams. It was better. We, and and we've, we're getting better at managing the competition. Yes. So last year we had 42 teams cook. I finished 36th place. So obviously my ranking would say that I'm not an expert in barbecue. I think it was fixed. And I picked the judges and that's what pissed me off is I pissed, picked the judges. Well, well, not only that, but go back to something you just mentioned, which, which is, uh, <laughs> which might be an indication of what's going on here. So I didn't know your first call was to Clint. So yeah. is that, you know, if I remember correctly, Cud won the second year. They did. They, they did. They did. I wonder if that was, had any connection at all. We might have I, to open up an investigation on that. Though. I, well, that so, I don't know. St. Walker, are you listening while, you're, while we're here? We're mentioning you on the they, they, podcast. He, he was a great mentor in helping get it ready and the, the guys at Cud. And, and, and a lot of people helped out. But uh, but it, it ballooned last year. And we I think we, we don't really know how many people showed up. We don't think. I, I have a pretty funny story about that. So. Through our marketing company, yeah. you asked us if we would judge the competition. Right. And when you asked us, this was 2018, you said, Josh, would you guys help us judge the competition? And you said, there's five teams. And you go, I want to do it like a, a 
March Madness style. And I thought, five teams, I can do that. That's no big deal. And uh, so, you know, I don't really know much about barbecue competitions or cook-offs or whatnot. So we go through and then all of a sudden, hey, so-and-so is going to join. So seven teams. Hey, these companies, 10 teams, 15, 20. And, And I am starting to freak, I mean, truly freak out. And I was in uh, Tulsa and we were up to about 35 teams. I don't know anything about a cook-off. And I walk in and I'm getting a tour of this guy's facility and guy walks up and he says, is Josh Lowry in here? I said, I'm Josh Lowry. He says, Hey, I'm in charge of the barbecue team for the company that I was touring. And I said, okay. He goes, Hey, listen, what type of, uh, what kind of meat checks are we going to have? And are we going to have this? And he starts asking me some pretty detailed cook-off questions. And I, I am not exaggerating. I start to sweat, just in- instantly start to sweat. And I realize, I said, sir, I go, I don't even know what a meat check is. I go, I don't, I, I said, I'm afraid that I'm going to ruin everything. And he goes, whoa, 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 son, calm down. <laughs> calm down. He goes, all you got to do, he goes, why don't you call the Kansas City Barbecue Society and they'll judge everything for you. So flash forward, I call the Kansas City people and they said, well, well listen, we have two teams. We have two people we can hook you up with. One, she she likes to handle everything. She wants to be in charge of every single detail. You, you promise you're not going to have to do anything. She's going to do anything for you. Or B, I went, no, no, no. A. I want A. <laughs> Only A. Give me that lady. And Jennifer is her name. We're yeah, still with awesome. her. She is amazing. She is amazing. And, you know, then flash forward to 2019. And actually that barbecue you're talking about in 2018, uh, Texas Monthly wrote an article about it. Right. And I will never forget, you know, going back to really wrapping up a lot of what we're talking about was your, I'll never get one of these New York analyst money guys came in town, right? That, that was covering, yeah. re- reading your research. And he looks at me and I'd never met this guy. And he said, there's only one guy in the oil field that could get everybody to Midland, Texas for this type of event. He goes, that's John Daniel. And I remember thinking that is saying something because there was a lot of big name people there, a lot of big companies, and they were in a, basically a parking lot in Midland, Texas right. for barbecue. And then you flash forward to 2019, the event was fantastic. Victoria Beard. Yeah, I she mean, killed it. She killed it. All yeah. the people in Minnesota killed it. Uh, Jennifer, our team. And, and and I know the feedback from you was everybody said that that event was the most impactful business interaction of the year. That's what they said. I hope they weren't lying, but that's what I'll, I, I don't take, think. That, yeah. I don't think they were. As you, as you well know, you know, we got a lot of phone calls from folks. We we're trying to fit people in the right. year before. And then, of course, the second I would call it, even though it was the third year, it was really the second year where this thing was just like worldwide, like everybody wants in and still people, I think, want in. But that comment, Josh, I heard that from multiple people. Obviously, I was there, but then I could not stay there, which we won't talk about here. But No, I- no, it's good. That was you, you, were, you and your wife adopted a – Baby Little boy, boy and you yeah. found out that day, the day of the barbecue. So that was a great reason well, to leave. The night before, yeah. But anyway, that was a dumpster fire, but a but a blessing at the same time. But everybody said, look, I in one day I have effectively done what if I'm lucky, six months to twelve months of traveling or trying to see these people uh, would have accomplished if I could even get in to see these people at all and I'm bumping into the CEO of this or this guy from XYZ private equity or whatever, just walking through the parking lot of the, uh, the petroleum museum in Midland eating barbecue and drinking cold beer. 
and you just don't know who you're going to see and who you're going to bump into. And that, 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 that is a testament to who you are and the friends that you have, your, your supporters and sponsors and being able to get people together. And I think it'll serve you well. It's a great thing for the industry. Are you going to do it uh, again? At, well, assuming coronavirus is behind us, it will, yeah. absolutely, it better be. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're targeting the end of September, still working out a few details. Uh, hope to get that resolved soon. So I'll be you know, reaching out to companies pretty soon saying, asking if they want to participate again. And, for, you know, at this point, what I hope it serves as is an opportunity, you know, for people just to not to get together, but in the in the face of an awful market, we might right. need a little reprieve. And uh, and to get people together, even though it's, 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 the market's still going to be pretty bad in September, let's not kid ourselves. It's just a chance to, to see everybody. And so I'm, hope that, I'm hoping it's sort of a... What John's trying to tell me is my beer sponsorship has just gone up and precipitously yes. people are going to be drinking a lot more beer. But you get to this attend year. this year, though. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I might get no, to attend no, this year. I'll, I'll, I'll be looking for some sponsors this year since, yeah. you know, since I have to personally pay for it, uh, which is okay. It's part yeah. of, you know, I quit my job. I, it's what... It's, what you bear. So listen, we're yeah. uh, we're gonna. We can always go open up a barbecue stand if it comes down to it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, like a mobile, yeah. you can drive around. So, John, yes, one sir. of the questions we like to ask our guests is, you know, what piece of advice or wisdom or life mantra would you give to yourself 20, 25 years ago, uh, or a younger person coming in? What what piece of wisdom have you picked up that you think is worth passing to uh, someone? Some of them are going to sound corny, but I remember one of my former bosses told me and, and, and during the process is whatever you always, always tell the truth. Sounds pretty simple, but it was just, it was really good advice and it's always stuck with me. The next thing is, and I learned this uh, sort of the hard way early on in my career, where is if you don't know the answer to something, a lot of times people just try to BS their way through it. And it's okay to say, I have no idea what you're asking me. I'll try to find out. And if I can't, you go talk to this person. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I, I, I yeah, that's uh, something I learned early on. And I t that's what I used to tell all my young guys. I said, if, if you take a phone call from a client, the reality is they've probably been doing this a lot longer than you. And they know a lot more than you. Don't try to impress them by sounding smart. Right. You know, you are smart, but you don't know what you're talking about yet. You will in time. So yeah. I've tried to live by that. What other advice? Try to have fun. I mean, I don't want to, you know, ever... The thing that I'm most excited about now, even if I don't make any money this year, is <laughs> which is what it's feeling. By the way, like. John, nobody's going to make any money this <laughs> year. Sure. Right? No, no. I, and I, I've been, like I said, I've been blessed. Someone's treated me very well. But uh, I will tell you, you know, we always make fun as analysts. You know, we think that we we know everything, uh, and we, you know, if companies miss their guidance, oh, those idiots, they don't know what they don't know their business. Well, man, if you saw my budget, what I prepared a few months ago versus <laughs> what it's going to be this year. No, I'm one of those guys, you know, why did I not, did I not see this, but just have fun. And, uh, you know, like I said, I can't wait to get out and get my truck and drive around and my kids go off to college this year. So they're not at home. And yeah, they basically already graduated. Haven't they? There's no, well, and that's, yeah, it's a whole other story. They're stuck at home. They're, they're pretty pissed off that, it's, you know, it's the spring of their senior year. They don't have prom. They don't have all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, when it's just my wife and I, if she's listening, I hope she's, I mean, I'll be excited to go out, drive around for a week or two. <laughs> Get away, have some fun. She'll probably want me out of the house because I'll be driving her batty. But uh, yeah, and it would be sad that I won't have kids to take with me anymore. So I'll probably take my dog. Well, Everest 
little Everest will jump in the car. With yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I've been locked in my house with a seven and a nine year old. I'll, I'll donate two kids if to you. If you need to send a kid, I don't want to be viewed as that guy taking other people's kids around, but <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, listen, so how do people, where can they find out more information? So I will eventually have a website. You do have a website now. It's well, just I do, no but information it's not, I'm still, we're still trying to figure that out. Okay. Get, we'll, we'll get that hopefully, hopefully done in a couple of weeks. DanielEP.com. As DeRode would say, www. Yeah, yeah. Dot Daniel. You know, whenever I say www, my wife's like, you don't have to say that anymore. Yeah, well, that's our, that's our <laughs> podcast joke is uh, okay. they can tell how old you are if you say www. And that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. So I tell my kids that I was looking for my Walkman. Like, what? Like, my Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it happens. So but, it's uh, it's www.danielep.com. Okay, dot com. Uh, so, uh, but look, and what's your email address to you? Uh, jd at danielep.com. Jd at danielep.com. Right. And, so, and the reason I'm doing that is I, because your technology lacking at the moment, yes. I know that email is the best way to get a hold of you. Yes. Okay. And hopefully I reply. I'm pretty good about replying. Okay. But uh, no, look, I mean, right now the plan is I'll, I'll put, you know, Initially, a lot of my notes will be going out just via Outlook because I don't yet have, uh, you know, a, a prettier system, for lack of a better description. This whole COVID thing has really messed people up, right, in terms of trying to get, you know, getting together with people, getting, you know, getting a banking account. It's tough. So I'm a little bit behind. But in the short term, Outlook notes, which uh, will be sent out, and uh, I'll have a little, you know, I've got my contact list now, which is, you know, a lot of people, but... There's a lot of other people in the oil field that might benefit from it. And if I can help them out, that would be great. Okay. John, always good to see you. Glad to have you here. John is, uh, has kicked me out of my office here in the, uh, the studio offices, which is fine. I would, I would not have anybody else, uh, sitting in my office. Glad y'all are here. And, uh, big, big thank you to our sound man, Jonathan, yeah. for being here most of the day today. It's been a great day recording uh, multiple uh, podcasts, which we'll be getting published uh, here very yeah. soon. These will all go out next week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank so. you for having me. Well, listen, we root, we're rooting you on. You're a good yeah. man. Uh, good luck to Daniel Energy Partners. David, always, this has been a great day. It's been a I good apologize day. for drinking so much espresso because I was pretty hyped up. I'm still waiting for Aaron to send us. I, you know, I, I ordered my own tequila. We've been waiting on him for too long. Yeah, that's true. We're going to have Aaron Marquez on here next. Yeah. It's, that should Great. be our next guest. But uh, listen, he, he once again, be our guest. Uh, I might want to come try that. Yeah, yeah, Aaron yeah, is we, uh, he's we, awesome. He is yeah, awesome. He's, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, he's got some cool. I mean, he he's very put together. Obviously, he yes. knows what he's doing, but he's got a pretty cool life. And we'll talk about it more when he comes on. But he's got he owns a tequila company. He owns Wildcat um, Energy Services or uh, right. Wildcat Oil. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. So, no, it'll be great. And this is going to be something uh, that we do on a regular basis. So you will hear John Daniel more. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for today. Everybody, listen, we, we have not joked at all about the social distancing, the washing hands. Do what you're supposed to do. Let's flatten the curve. Let's end this. We've got to get back to normal quickly. So take it very seriously. If you have any questions, once again, you can call or email David at david at oilfield360.com, josh at oilfield360.com. We are one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing podcast in the world for oil and gas. We can be found on every podcast platform out there. It's just, we can't believe the support we've been getting. So thank you guys for listening. Tell your friends about it. Uh, Follow us on our LinkedIn page. That's it. Everybody have a great day. Be safe. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please visit www.oilfield360.com. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, www.simmonspsc.com, World Oil, 
www.worldoil.com. Prang & Associates, www.prang.com. EIV Capital, www.eivcapital.com. Galtway Industries, www.galtwayindustries.com. Tomahawk Safety, www.tomahawksafety.com. Range Valuation Services, www.rangevaluationservices.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, www.lockton.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE, PJC, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Co., member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the U.K. Financial Conduct Authority, and in Hong Kong through Piper Sandler Hong Kong Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates. U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, Registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler & Co., and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.